Let's get together, talk about the movies that we saw this week. We'll have discussions, talk film news, we'll laugh a lot and act like geeks. Sometimes we'll have a guest or two, sometimes it's just the two of us. Let's crack some jokes and tell some folks to come along and hang with us! Mike and Mike go to the movies. Mike and Mike go to the movies. Yeah! You have chosen Again, we see there is no podcast you can listen to that I cannot host instead. It's Mike and Mike go to the movies. I'm Mike Smith, and Mike DeCrescio couldn't be here today because he's got a two-day head start on you, which is more than he needs. Mike D's got friends in every town and village from here to the Sudan. He speaks a dozen languages, knows every local custom. He'll blend in. He'll disappear. You'll never see him again. With any luck, he's hosting a new podcast already. (laughs) So instead, joining us is a man seeking the antidote for the poison he just drank. <laughs> uh, Nick Wormuth, welcome back to Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. Hello. Happy to be here. Happy to fill in for a better host than me. <laughs> no, don't say that. You're a very good host, Nick. Uh, and we've relied on your guest hosting abilities uh, in the past. Uh, although I don't think we, the two of us have done one. You and Mike D did one a while back. Yes, uh, the, we did. Nosferatu, no- yep. Yes, Nosferatu, the Werner Herzog film, which uh, I still have not watched. Uh, <laughs> I gotta be honest. I bought the Blu-ray a while back after your episode. I watched, the, uh, listened to your episode, and I was like, I, I should watch this. I bought the Scream Factory Blu-ray of Nosferatu, the Vampire, and uh, have not watched it yet. But it's on the list. It's gonna happen at some point. <laughs> uh, but Nick, what's been going on in your life? Uh, what's happening with you? You were just on the podcast a few weeks ago uh, as part of the Fast X review. Yes, I was. I've forgotten most of the plot of that movie since then. So. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Can't say it stuck around. Um, Fair enough. But happy to be on again so soon. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so basically what we're doing here today, uh, we have brought in uh, Indiana Jones experts, Nick Wormuth. I don't know if you're an expert, or you, but you're an Indiana Jones fan, right? I've seen the movies. I don't know. I yeah. feel like every time I show up, you call me an expert of some sort, so hopefully I can live up to that. Uh, well, you're an expert in the James Bond movies, which is what we have you on. You're our go-to Bond guy, uh, yeah. for sure. And this is uh, parallel to that, so yes, it, all, it all makes sense. Yeah, of course, because Indiana Jones uh, very famously started as Spielberg's attempt to make a James Bond movie. That was kind of his idea uh, for it, and uh, he wasn't allowed to make one. They wouldn't let, let him make a Bond movie, which seems crazy that like Steven Spielberg wants to make a Bond movie. Why not let him make one? <laughs> you know? They like journeyman British directors who essentially remake the same movie over and over and over again. Yes, or at so. least that was how it was in the 80s, yes. uh, for sure. And so when that happened, Spielberg was like, okay, well, I will make my own version of James Bond and kind of drew inspiration from 1930s adventure serials and collaborated with George Lucas. And eventually they came to Indiana Smith, who was later renamed <laughs> Indiana Jones. <laughs> Uh, and so we're doing an Indiana Jones retrospective today because there's a new Indiana Jones movie that's about to hit theaters. Uh, as of this recording, it's a couple weeks away, but when this comes out, it'll just be like two days from now. So yeah, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is coming out uh, this Friday, and uh, I, I have heard mixed to positive things. I, I feel like I've seen like a wide range of reactions to Dial of Destiny. Have you been following the reception to this movie at all yet, Nick? Uh, other than just seeing like the Rotten Tomatoes score against my will uh, and the one trailer <laughs> that played before Fast and Furious, I'm, I'm trying to stay distanced because I sure. feel like I knew way too much about King of the Crystal Skull going into that. So I'd like to just be surprised. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, yeah, I know it, it premiered at the Cannes Film Festival and got a very muted reaction, a mere five minute standing ovation. <laughs> but, you know, it was it was it did get reviews out of the Cannes Film Festival and a lot of them were pretty negative or you know mixed and negative uh but in the weeks since then i've seen more and more critics kind of be like no actually it's pretty fun like i feel like that maybe the Cannes film festival was not the best place to debut the new indiana jones movie 
Who's to say? <laughs> yeah, I don't necessarily agree with like the fan event screenings either, where it's like, well, yeah, of course it has a 96, because the only right. people who saw it were people who were going to like it no matter what. But yep. I don't know. Maybe uh, they were too tired from being excited that they couldn't clap for more than five minutes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's definitely possibly uh, what happened. So Indiana Jones and Dial of Destiny uh, coming out soon, and uh, I think we'll, we'll talk about our thoughts about what we hope for that movie uh, towards the end of this episode. But today we're gonna just going to go through the entire Indiana Jones series and dive into each one, our thoughts and opinions on each movie, uh, reflections, memories, you know, all, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, so before we get into it, got to say that all the theme songs that you're going to hear this episode uh, were created by Kyle Cullen, who you can reach your own theme songs at Kyle's Podcast Themes at gmail.com. And our logo was designed by Mac V, whose art you can find at Fearless Guard on Twitter. And if you ever want to contact us and respond to something in the show, you can tweet at us at Mike and Mike Pod. And if you ever want to make a donation, uh, you can head to our Kofi page because for $50 you can make us watch any movie you want. Me and Mike will watch whatever and actually uh, the week after this episode airs we will have a $50 Kofi donation episode. Uh, Somebody has donated to make me and Mike watch Freddy Got Fingered uh, which I have never seen. I have heard it may be an unheralded masterpiece. Nick have you seen Freddy Got Fingered? I have not. I know the daddy, would you like some sausage or something is like a musical number in the middle. Yes. Uh, it literally, anytime I've asked somebody if they've seen Freddy got fingered, they have said no, but I do know the daddy have (laughs) (laughs) which is very great. Uh, yeah. So no, I have not seen Freddy got fingered. I don't think Mike D has either. Uh, but I know people who have, uh, and some of them say that it is a secret masterpiece. Uh, so I look forward to seeing if I agree with that or not. Uh, but Freddy got fingered is going to be next week's episode, but today we're going to dive into Indiana Jones, so let's do it. It's time for a retrospective. Can we fast forward or is this live TV? You All right, it's time for an Indiana Jones retrospective. Looking back on this entire film series, which of course began in 1981 with Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, which has since kind of been renamed Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is dumb. It's called Raiders of the Lost Ark. He's one of the Raiders. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) They're just like, well, we don't want people to forget what it is, as if the man with the hat and the whip on the cover is going to confuse someone. (laughs) Exactly. Also, that's like the most famous title out of all the new other Indiana Jones movies, but regardless, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark came out in 1981. Uh, All four of these movies are directed by Steven Spielberg. He did not direct Dial of Destiny, and we'll talk about that when we kind of get to that. But Raiders of the Lost Ark, like we said, Spielberg uh, wanted to make a James Bond movie, was not given the chance to, and so he went off and did his own thing, which uh, is something that just kind of repeats over and over again. I mean, uh, George Lucas with Star Wars was kind of the same way, where he wanted to make a Flash Gordon movie, couldn't get the rights, and then he made Star Wars instead, and... You know, the rest was kind of history. Uh, and even more in more recent years, uh, Christopher Nolan. I'm not sure if he actually like wanted to make a James Bond movie, but everyone like, you know, they, they, they're very similar styles. And he's obviously very heavily influenced by James Bond. And then Tenet is kind of Christopher Nolan's James Bond movie, you know? Yeah. And he likes to pick and choose different elements where even rewatching all the Bond movies, you're like, oh, OK, I get why they did this in The Dark Knight or Inception or everything, because yep. he's just like, I take from the best. Exactly, yes. Uh, So Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, largely considered a landmark action-adventure movie. Uh, Many consider it the best of the Indiana Jones series. What's your take on Raiders of the Lost Ark, Nick? I mean, do you remember watching this movie for the first time? Uh, I do, uh, because unlike, I think, a lot of people, this was not like a movie that 
my family was like, oh, this is a classic. You have to see it. I think my yeah. first introduction to anything similar was either the Rugrats movie, which opens very similarly. There is a or, parody uh, of Raiders. and Yeah, absolutely. Or UHF, uh, which also does a even better version than Raiders. Uh, <laughs> I mean, UHF, a, a classic, a yeah. great movie. <laughs> but I believe it was the Lego magazine had announced that they were making new sets for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And I was like, I don't know what the Indiana Jones movies are about. So I guess it's about time I do it. So this way okay. I can justify buying more Legos. <laughs> Which is how all great financial decisions are made, uh, I think. Um, but uh, okay, so you you were not familiar with these movies until Crystal Skull came out. Yes. Uh, which is kind of wild. And I mean, how old were you when that happened? You uh, been like, 12 or 13. So Okay, yeah. so you're a fairly conscious person at that time. Uh, do you remember how you felt watching the Indiana Jones movies back then? It's amazing to see something that's, like I mentioned, already parodied through so much of pop culture, but like every single second was still mesmerizing where I'd, I'd seen that boulder scene over and over redone in different things. I didn't realize that was the opening of the movie. I assumed, right. oh yeah, the climax is he gets chased by a boulder. He steals some things and it's just, no, fuck, that's the cold open. Like yeah. it's incredible. And yeah, Raiders just absolute blast from start to finish. Rewatched it again last night in preparation for this. And also because why not? Uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, it still works for me. And if this is his attempt of a James Bond knockoff uh, as a, you proclaim me a James Bond expert, uh, I will say that Raiders is better than any other James Bond movie that's ever existed <laughs> and is still one of the best movies ever made. Sure, yes. I mean, yeah, this movie is fantastic. Uh, I think this is, for, for a long time, I have said this is my favorite Indiana Jones movie, and I think, I mean, like, I think it is the best Indiana Jones movie in terms of just, like, actually, like, just pure plotting and spectacle and like, everything that goes into uh, one of these movies. I think Raiders maybe has the best alchemy of all of them. Uh, I do think my favorite is probably Last Crusade, uh, just that's the one I've watched the most. But Raiders has a special place. It is the original, it's great, and it's so early in the Spielberg career. There are so many classics to come. <laughs> from a Spielberg, it's kind of nuts. But even at this point, it's 1981. Spielberg's already made Jaws and Close Encounters. Like, they, these are two massive, huge hits, and uh, they just keep coming uh, from him, especially in the 80s, where it's Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T., Temple of Doom, Color Purple. Uh, uh, <laughs> 11 Academy Award nominations, so it yes. still counts. 11 Academy Award nominations for The Color Purple. There's a new one coming out this year, uh, a new version of The Color Purple. I don't think Spielberg's involved. <laughs> But uh, but Color Purple came out, sure. Uh, Empire of the Sun. Like, I, it's the 80s are a weird period because he's still making big action adventure movies. Like, he's making these Indiana Jones movies, which all three of these original trilogy, like, they all came out in the 80s. Uh, and he made E.T. and produced Poltergeist and stuff. But uh, it's very clear that around the mid-80s, Spielberg starts to have greater ambitions to kind of tell more serious stories. Uh, and so 85 is The Color Purple. Then Empire of the Sun comes out in 87. Always is in 1989, the forgotten Spielberg film. Uh, it's actually the one Spielberg movie I have not seen, uh, and it's one I've been meaning to cross it off the list for a long time, but never got around to. But yeah, that was like the same year as Last Crusade, and it's very clear like that kind of stuff didn't really hit for him super well. I mean, Color Purple obviously was nominated for a bunch of Oscars, but I feel like it wasn't like it had its share of you know detractors. And Empire of the Sun, I think, was is really underrated. Look, these you know, those are good movies, but. 
Uh, I think once it starts to hit with like Schindler's List, like that's when it's like, oh, he's a serious filmmaker now. And that's like yeah. the early 90s. You know, That also feels more along the movies that not that anyone should be boxed into a corner, but eight generations of racist repression and domestic abuse is maybe not Spielberg's uh, forte. So I don't know. Sure. Yeah. Also, Color Purple is the only Spielberg movie I have not seen. I've seen Always okay. and own it on Blu-ray. <laughs> um, I actually also own Always on Blu-ray as part of like a Spielberg box set that I have. <laughs> I see we own the same set. There it um, is. But. <laughs> I think that's what's so exciting about Spielberg is exactly what you just described is like as it, when you're a kid, I feel like the main directors that you hear of are Spielberg and then like Tim Burton and stuff where like, you know what a Tim Burton movie looks like, whereas sure. as I've watched more Spielberg movies, uh, it's more just been like, oh, these are 30 movies I like and then learning, oh, yeah, the same guy made all of them. And it's insane that it's just, yeah, the big shark movie, the Holocaust movie, the multiple movies about aliens and wars of worlds and yeah and then the indiana jones movies uh it's just incredible career (laughs) yeah it's one of those things that he makes so many different kinds of movies and yet many of them are very recognizably spielberg movies like there's a lot of like motifs that recur throughout all of them and all that kind of stuff whereas yeah tim burton kind of has this very you know dark kooky aesthetic that he brings to all of his movies or at least especially in the 90s i feel like now he's kind of become a sort of anonymous director or a sort of like you know sort of self-parody of himself but i think for burton uh, for a lot of people of our generation it was like very much a gateway auteur you know somebody who made a lot of like kid-friendly movies where you can recognize this is a tim burton movie uh, exactly. like you can see it right there and i think spielberg is a similar thing in that in that uh, uh, although spielberg was also like the most commercially successful director of all time uh, and <laughs> made so many insane, massive hits. It's kind of like boggling. It's mind boggling to think about how many, how different the culture would be if Steven Spielberg never made movies, you know, and just, and that's sort of what the Fablemans is about. Yeah. <laughs> in, uh, which that movie's incredible, by the way. People should go watch the Fablemans. Um, but I think that's also something he's been wrestling with in a lot of his recent movies. I think you see that even in like Ready Player One, which is one of his worst movies. Uh, I, I, there is, there's still good stuff in there. And it's very much about an old man uh, kind of, trying to figure out, like, is my legacy a positive thing for the world? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. It's a lot of self-reflection. And yeah, what do you yeah. do after you make the most important movies ever? Where if anyone had Jaws, they'd be like, well, I did it. I don't have to prove myself anymore. And then he did the I'm same retiring. thing 15 <laughs> yeah. more times. So much yeah. so where I was looking at Letterbox and I was like, well, where do I put Indiana Jones within like the rankings and I have Raiders I think is like number five but then you have to go down 10 more movies before you even exit five star ratings so like yeah it's insane it's it's bananas but Raiders of the Lost Ark it's a it's a perfect just great action adventure movie uh Harrison Ford kind of especially at this point too like right after Empire Strikes Back comes out and you look at the Star Wars trilogy and almost everybody in the Star Wars trilogy didn't really break out of Star Wars you know like Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher were very much Luke and Leia from that point forward and Harrison Ford managed to break out of Star Wars and got Indiana Jones and start and became like a very successful like A-list movie star and he's one of the rare people to do that I think it's one of those things where like once you're in Star Wars it's tough to get out of Star Wars you know as we've learned from the sequel trilogy where I Cannot name a single. Has Daisy Ridley been in a movie outside of? You know, uh, so Daisy Ridley, uh, I think she had a sci-fi movie with Tom Holland. Chaos uh, Walking? Yes. uh, That was directed by Doug Lehman that completely flopped. And I didn't see it. Nobody saw it. Uh, I think she was also in uh, Murder on the Orient Express, the Kenneth Branagh version. Mike Um, DeCretia would be mad at me for not remembering that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've actually got to catch up. Michelle Yeoh is in the new one. Uh, okay. And so uh, I've got to catch up with Death in the Nile. I never saw that one uh, before I watch 
the new one. Um, but yeah, Daisy Ridley has not been in a ton of stuff, and they recently announced she's coming back to Star Wars. They're making a new Star Wars movie with Daisy Ridley, which, granted, I take all Star Wars announcements with a grain of salt now because they've announced like 10 movies that haven't happened yet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that is something that uh, they have announced, and it sounds like something they want to do. But yeah, I mean, Daisy Ridley hasn't had a ton of stuff post-Star Wars, but I think out of the sequel trilogy, like Adam Driver and Oscar Isaac, they've both been doing fine. John Boyega has had, had a little bit of time finding his niche, but I think he's starting to find it a little bit. He was really good in The Woman King last year. But yeah, it is a, a difficult thing to break out of, I think, because the fan base is so intense uh, and will basically only see you as this character from this point forward. Yeah. Uh, and Harrison Ford was kind of the original person to break out of that. Uh, and I think Raiders of the Lost Ark is a big part of why that happened. Uh, and yeah, he he is so great in Raiders, uh, but he, almost even better in Raiders uh, is Karen Allen as Marion Ravenwood, who is the coolest character that's ever existed. <laughs> Uh, she's so great and it's a bummer what they kind of do with her in Crystal Skull um, yeah but uh, but she is fantastic in Raiders like she's so much fun well, yeah she gets introduced in essentially a drinking contest she owns her own yeah. business it's not like oh this is damsel in distress immediately she's very self-directed and I feel like a lot of similar movies to this would be like well and even maybe sequels to this uh, will have side characters who are women who essentially do nothing except for get in trouble and start screaming I'm talking about you, Willie Scott. Um, the worst. But Marion Ravenwood is just a, a stellar example of, I'm not a woman, so maybe I shouldn't <laughs> say any of this, but it's a stellar example of just writing strong female characters where, I don't know, they just did a great job where every single thing that she does like pushes the story forward, even when she is like captured in later scenes. It's her own ingenuity that gets her out of it or almost yeah. gets her out of it, but I don't know. Yeah, this and this movie's just peppered with characters like that where they could just be disposable, but I don't know, they have a lasting impact. Yeah, absolutely. There are so many cool, memorable characters. Uh, Sala, who returns in Last Crusade and is apparently coming back in Dial of Destiny. You know, uh, John Rice davies uh, is just a fun presence in this movie. Uh, Marcus Brody is is fantastic, and I really love him in Last Crusade. He's yeah. just super goofy. I feel like that's that was like a weird point of contention for a lot of Indiana Jones fans uh, because Marcus Brody in Last Crusade is kind of depicted as like a bumbling fool, and in Raiders he's a pretty like I mean, he only has like one or two scenes in Raiders. He's not in a lot of it, but like he's depicted as like a pretty straight laced <laughs> yeah. professional. You know, well he's uh, just like he's kind of like a museum director. So I feel like I don't know. Do we need like a stuck up guy going on adventures with him in later movies no just make him a yeah. moron <laughs> exactly uh yeah um and so yeah raiders of the lost ark uh it's you know perfect movie 10 out of 10 it's fantastic uh any sequences that you want to highlight about raiders uh nick anything that you stands out to you is like man what a picture um i think just the immediate sequence of like the well of souls right to the plane fight right to the truck chase where essentially everything that happens would again be the highlight of any other movie but they're just like all right we just got to get to the next one and even every scene is just even more thrilling and just that yeah. truck chase specifically i don't think i've ever seen fast and furious movies you've never caught up to how good <laughs> raiders did it in like eight <laughs> minutes so i don't know just incredible yes absolutely and there are so many moments uh in raiders specifically i mean there's moments in all of them that are pretty well known and parodied and all that kind of stuff iconic moments but i think raiders has probably the highest percentage of that uh there i mean obviously you have the uh, the boulder scene in the beginning which is huge and uh, often parodied uh the very end of the movie uh with you know the arc being open and the nazi's face melting indiana jones be like don't look at it don't look at it which 
which is great. And, you know, the arc being put away. I, I do think Raiders of the Lost Ark is has arguably like one of the bleakest endings of Spielberg's entire career, uh, where it's just this this well of infinite knowledge, like uh, this supernatural thing that, uh, you know, we can learn so much from has just been like pushed aside due to government bureaucracy. And it is just like <laughs> locked away in an anonymous box in a giant warehouse full of anonymous boxes and will never be touched again is ain't that like, just, just how the world works <laughs> yeah exactly uh, and it's just one of those things where like you watch that and I feel like when I was a kid watching this movie I didn't really feel, like I thought it was like oh cool ending like I like need imagery like that's that's a very like good ending for this movie I don't think I really clocked how bleak that is you know <laughs> are we supposed to gather that the US government understands what happened on that island or are they just like you know what not our problem uh, yeah not dealing with it <laughs> I don't know <laughs> And that's that's the other one of the strengths of the movie where even things that don't make sense, not that everything has to make sense, they are so confident in the execution that you just never question it. How does yeah. Indy stay on that submarine to the island? How does he get off the island at the end of it? Who the hell knows? Uh, right. But it's just... The, the movie's so good that it can trick you into overlooking everything else. Uh, and there are so many there are so many funny moments that I often forget about in Raiders for whatever reason. Uh, the you know the monkey that's secretly a Nazi is hilarious. Uh, and weirdly, if you watch the Fablemans, you can see you could track that in Spielberg's mm-hmm. minds, <laughs> which is very funny. But yeah, the monkey's great. Uh, there's the moment where uh, the Nazis board the ship that Indy is hiding out on, and like you can see his face like popping out of a pipe that. Uh, <laughs> He's like kind of just scoping out the situation, uh, which is really funny. Just moments like that, like small character bits are are really, really great. And yeah, other iconic scenes in the movie. I mean, the moment where Harrison Ford uh, was like sick during filming and so shot the guy instead of doing the elaborate sword fight that was planned. The stuff of legend. So good. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Uh, And such such an instantly iconic moment that they even call back to it in Temple of Doom, despite the fact that Temple of Doom is a prequel to Raiders, which is interesting. But I kind of like the idea that like because Temple of Doom is a prequel, you know, when they call back to it, they and he reaches for his gun and it's not there. He, it's like not on his holster. He forgot it. Uh, and I like the idea that like that lesson let it led him to make sure his gun was in his holster in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. <laughs> like a weird retcon kind of thing. <laughs> he learned from his past. Yes. I also learned in the brief, I was watching some of the special features before hopping on this, that apparently there was... In addition to the famous Harrison Ford was sick, so he shot the swordsman, there was another scene where Sala was getting held up by gunpoint, and Spielberg was like, can you lower down a little bit to meet Eyeline? And because everyone had the same stomach problem, John Rhys-Davies bent down, shit his pants, and then they just canned the whole scene. (laughs) Incredible. That's so good. Uh, all right. So that's Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, as me and Nick said, it's a classic. Uh, people know that it's a classic. Uh, you know, it's it's not something that we're going to dispute here on the podcast. It's a movie we both really like. But then three years after Raiders of the Lost Ark, there was another Indiana Jones movie because Raiders was so successful. Uh, and that, of course, was 1984's Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And Temple of Doom, I think, is a very different movie than Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of ways. Uh, Yes. And so for a long time, I I would be the kind of person who made the argument that though I liked all of these movies and I liked Temple of Doom, I would make the arguments that Crystal Skull was actually better than Temple of Doom. In this recent rewatch, I rewatched all of them before Dial of Destiny. I'm not going to say that anymore. I think Temple of Doom is like there's issues with it. There are like things I don't like about it, but it's just so well made. It's a crackerjack piece of uh, movie entertainment. (laughs) Um, and uh, there's just so many sequences that I really love in Temple of Doom. Uh, whereas Crystal Skull, a movie that I do like, um, it's just, it's it looks different. I think a, a key part of what 
I like about these first three movies is how good they look. And Douglas Slocum, who was a cinematographer for all three of them, does such an incredible job of setting that time and place. And part of that is that, hey, it's the 1930s and Crystal Skull is the 50s, so it does feel different. But that one's also shot by... Giannis Kaminsky, uh, Spielberg's kind of current DP who just shoots everything Spielberg does. And Giannis Kaminsky, I think, is a, a good uh, cinematographer, um, but I, I don't think he's a good fit for everything. And I don't think he's a, he was a good fit for Indiana Jones <laughs> specifically. Yeah. I think Crystal Skull looks much worse than the other three movies, for sure. I think, yeah, because Kaminsky, I don't know, is it's not lens flare, but everything looks like there's sand in front of it. And I don't know yeah. how else to describe it. Or like you're, <laughs> you're, in, you're entering an attic on a sunny day that no one's been in for years. Years. So yes. there's just always this like yellowish haze, which I, again, it works better for other movies. I think it works well in like West Side Story and yep. Munich and things like that, but it does not work at all for Indiana Jones. And we'll, we'll get into that more, but uh, exactly. I, I still will make the argument that this is my least favorite <laughs> of okay. all so four. You so you like Crystal Skull more than Temple of Doom. Yes. Uh, and why is that, Nick? Um, so I feel like, again, one of the strengths of Raiders is within the first 20 minutes, they tell you this is is exactly what the movie is and the whole rest of the movie is we're going to find it. So they're like, here's the arc, here's all the info about the arc, you're going to go get it. And because of that, all of these super energized action scenes all feel like they're building towards something and then you get that release. Temple of Doom, the first 50 minutes is just I don't really know what's going on here. We're just following set pieces so much so that the plane escape scene and the later minecart scene were just leftovers from the Raiders script. So a lot of it just <laughs> feels like, all right, we we got the least interesting parts of Raiders, stitched a whole bunch of those back to back without any real driving force. And also a massive problem that I have with it is where Belloc is a very, not compelling villain because he just kind of shows up when he has to. But again, right. that's the perfectness of the plotting of Raiders. Molaram shows up, is evil, continues to be evil, and then gets eaten by crocodiles, which is good <laughs> for a bad guy to do. Yeah. But it's just, it lacks any sort of drive. And it's fun to watch, but it essentially just leaves my head every time I watch it right afterwards. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I think the set pieces, like I think it's such a well-directed movie that the set pieces, like even the ones that are leftovers from Raiders or whatever, they all look great and I think they're all really fun. Uh, and especially the minecar chase was something that I got, I like latched onto a lot as a kid. I really loved the minecar chase in Temple of Doom and I pictured like, a, you know, a theme park ride based on it or something. Like I, like it's just, it was just so cool to me. The minecar chase was great. Uh, I think the whole sequence uh with the like the, the plane crash and them jumping out with the uh you know, the emergency life raft that's just like a for a boat is, I think, super funny. And it's one of those things where when I see that, I really enjoy it. I think it's great. And whenever people got mad about the nuke the fridge scene in Crystal Skull, yeah, I would always be like, this is more ludicrous than that. <laughs> Even if it's not more ludicrous, it's as ludicrous. And people aren't mad about this. Like, the only difference is this is from like 25 years ago. And so you grew up watching, you know, <laughs> like yeah, that's it's the that's child eyes. Happens. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I think all all, that, all those set pieces are so much fun. I think especially uh, the opening of this movie is fantastic. Uh, the first like 10 minutes at the cold open, which has the uh, Anything Goes uh, musical number uh, done in, I think, Chinese, uh, right? Um, I think Cantonese. Um, uh, Cantonese, yeah. yes. Um, I'm no expert. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I should be an expert. I've watched 50 Michelle Yeoh movies. Um, 
But uh, yeah, it's, you know, uh, Anything Goes performed by Kate Cashaw and it's such a fun musical number sequence. And when they announced that Spielberg was making West Side Story, I was like, perfect. Finally, we got we can pay this off. (laughs) We got the tease 35 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And this whole cold open is very much like this is the Bond movie that Spielberg wanted to make. This is it. Uh, You know, it's Harrison Ford, you know, in it incognito in a nightclub and you know people doing shady deals across tables and then finally a big shootout erupts and all that and then you're introduced to short round uh and i really love short round in this movie uh i do not like willie scott uh willie scott is the worst character i think in the entire indiana jones series and maybe in cinema (laughs) she's really rough it's very rare that i will stand up for a child performance uh i think uh kwan does the one of the best jobs in any movie I've ever seen so much. So it's just insane to me that I'm looking at an adult and a child and the adult is driving me insane. Yes. And I'm just like, <laughs> can we just cut to more scenes of this kid doing fun stuff? Yeah. And he's just, I don't know. He's just liquid energy and the, the uh, charisma and like the chemistry that he has with Harrison Ford just works immediately. And I, I don't know how to describe it beyond that, but it's just, it, there's like a mutual respect, which I enjoy watching this 40-year-old man look at this 10-year-old child. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I think Kehi Kwan is so good in Temple of Doom and so much fun in both this movie and The Goonies. And then he sort of kind of disappears uh, for a long time. And I'm so glad that he's back making movies again. And I think he's so great in everything everywhere all at once. And it's so grat- it was so gratifying to see him win his Oscar this year. And like Spielberg was in the crowd and Harrison Ford was in the crowd. And they were jumping up and cheering for him and all that kind of stuff. Like, he just seems like a really good dude. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and and many child actors are not good dudes like when they grow up, right? So for him to be as good as he is a short round and just seem like a really good guy uh, is really fun. I, I And I have not looked up any spoilers for Dial of Destiny. I don't know what happens in the movie. I fully expect they worked him in as a cameo or something. Like, because, <laughs> like... Like I fully like almost certainly after all, after he returned and blew up and won an Oscar, like, I don't know. know. I feel like that's more grounds for a Disney plus limited series or something. Uh, I mean, I would would rather they not. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm not saying I want that. (laughs) I mean, if if it was like a fun cameo in Dial of Destiny, I could see that. I I don't want him like bogged down by being a short round again. Yeah. (laughs) Like, but if he like, you know, made a cameo in this movie or whatever, it'd be fine. But yeah, I think he's, he's great in Temple of Doom. Um, but yeah, Willie Scott is is the worst. But I guess it gave Spielberg uh, his second wife, uh, Kate Capshaw, <laughs> um, <laughs> which we should talk about that, too, because Temple of Doom, it was very famously a movie that uh, was made while both Spielberg and George Lucas uh, were going through rough divorces. Uh and the tone of this movie is so different than Raiders. And I mean, Raiders is this like big globe trotting action adventure. There's a lot of comedy, there's a lot of humor, and there's comedy in Temple of Doom, sure. But Temple of Doom, it's not a globe trotting adventure. It mostly takes place in one underground location. And, you know, most of the comedy is like fairly mean spirit. <laughs> yeah. It's a very angry uh, movie. It feels yes. quite divorced. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so much as I saw a tweet recently, and I don't know who tweeted it. So I'm going to just randomly throw it out there but uh somebody posted the clip from temple of doom which is the scene where you know indy short round and willie are all camping out at night and willie keeps getting attacked by random animals you know which i think is a pretty funny sequence because it's a it's it's very fun to see bad things happen to willie who's an awful character (laughs) (laughs) uh but it very much has like divorced dad energy when you're watching it and like knowing that spielberg and lucas were going through divorces and being like oh well me me and the kid had a great relationship but this lady over here (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she's just such a, so annoying, right? <laughs> uh, so there's that. <laughs> yeah. 
and again, it, this is nothing against Cape Capshaw, but just it's insane to me that especially after the strength of Karen Allen, they were like, let's just put no effort into this. Because yes. I think 80% of her lines are her screaming indie, which is <laughs> insane. <laughs> yeah, and, and to be fair, I do like certain scenes that she's in. I like her in um, the scene where she and Indy are like flirting with each other, right? Yeah. When they are like about to, uh, like they're maybe about to have sex and then he like, you know, like the game that they're playing between the two of them, uh, I think is is really fun and kind of resembles like kind of the screwball comedies of like the 1930s and 40s and all that stuff. And when they're like yelling at each other back and forth in the room, like you'll be back here in five minutes. Uh, I think that whole sequence is fun. I think if, if they had Kate Capshaw in that mode for more of the movie, uh, she wouldn't be the worst character of all time. Yeah, that feels like her only few pages of script that aren't yell, run around, uh, yes. touch bug. Uh, I broke a nail. Like that's yeah. like something that she does in the movie, you know? <laughs> and that's, again, just the huge downgrade from Karen Allen is just insane. And even yeah. that scene is capped off with her just being like, I'm mad at you. Why are you touching these statues? And it's like, <laughs> Just let her be interesting for more than five minutes. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. So that's unfortunate. Um, and we should also mention there's like, you know, the the racist stuff in Temple yes. of Doom also, which is also not great. Uh, a lot of the movie takes place in India and it delves into a lot of stereotypes and especially egregious during the dinner scene where they're just like, you know, serving a bunch of like, you know, inedible food to the, the Americans and they're serving monkey brains for dessert and all that kind of stuff. Not great. snakes and stuff like that. And it's, yeah. I, 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 so much that I was reading the Wikipedia article, who knows how trustworthy those are, but just even like India was like, hey, you can't film here unless you get rid of all of this because it's deeply offensive. And they were like, fuck yeah. you, we'll go to Sri Lanka. And it's like, <laughs> maybe take some of the feedback you were given that this is wrong instead of just doubling down on it and going next door. Yeah. Yeah. So that is unfortunate. Yeah. Um, but I, again, I like all these movies. Uh, and Temple of Doom, I think, is still fun. There's enough fun stuff here to make it work. And I and I do think, you know, Kingdom of Crystal Skull and Temple of Doom, kind of a toss-up for me. But I think with this rewatch, I do think Temple of Doom is a better movie than Crystal Skull. Okay. Um, but, it's, but it sounds like Temple of Doom is your least favorite Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, least favorite in total. I think, it, like you said, the third act of Kingdom kind of falls apart. And I think one of the strengths of Temple of Doom is especially that last 20 minutes when they're clearly outside of soundstage again for the first time yeah. in an hour and a half. And that end scene with the bridge is thrilling. But again, we've had a solid hour of you're going to be inside this haunted house with red lights shooting all over the place and child slaves and just general meanness. So it's it's yeah. nice to be outdoors again. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so that, that is Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, a, a weird outlier in the whole series, because, again, it is so different than anything else that these movies have done. Like every like I feel like with Last Crusade and with King of Crystal Skull, like Spielberg kind of was like, I don't want to do Temple of Doom again. I want to get back to Raiders. Like I want to get back to like the big, fun, globetrotting adventure. And that's what the series has been going forward. So Temple of Doom is just like kind of this weird outsider thing, which does make it, I think, more interesting just in terms of like an artistic uh, choice for that movie. But all right, let's move on into the third movie, uh, 1989. And for a long time, this was the last movie, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. That's why it's called that. Uh, <laughs> uh, and Last Crusade. Uh, like I said before, I have long said that like, well, you know, Raiders is the best, but Last Crusade is my favorite. And I'm I'm sort of starting to come around to being like, Last Crusade might be the best. I don't know. I, I, and maybe that's just a personal favorite kind of thing. But uh, this movie rips. It's so good. <laughs> it's, yeah. I, I really love Last Crusade. Uh, I think the most out of any Indiana Jones movie. But uh, what's your take on this movie, Nick? Same thing, where I think if you asked me 10 years ago, I'd be like, yeah, this is 
my favorite one. This is the best one coming back now. It's just it's hard to deny what Raiders is, but I think yeah. Last Crusade manages to expand on a lot of that. Where Indy in the first movie is cool, and it's cool to watch him get beaten up, and he feels like a human. And then in this movie, it's interesting to see. I'm sure we'll get into it. The dynamic with him and his dad, especially post seeing the Fablemans, this has really added a whole nother dimension to it. Yes. Um, just yeah, the by the books father who doesn't understand why the son would want to be artistic and outgoing and then the son <laughs> trying to find a meet in the middle. Not really sure what to make of the they both have sex with the same woman uh, because that maybe uh, brings other some than troubling a hilarious things. joke. It's a hilarious yeah. joke. <laughs> she talks in her sleep is such a good line. <laughs> I've heard that was ad-libbed but I don't know. That's that's too perfect. If, if that was ad-libbed that's a perfect Sean Connery story. That's yeah. absolutely the kind of thing Sean Connery would say. <laughs> And yes, speaking of, yes, Sean Connery plays Indiana Jones' dad in this movie, Henry Jones Sr. And it, I, obviously a, a nod to Indy's roots as like being a Bond knockoff. Like that's, you got, you got James Bond to play his dad. It's the perfect meta casting for this movie. Uh, and yeah, I think the dynamic between the two of them is sort of what puts this movie over the top for me because I think everything about the set pieces, everything about the adventure that they're on is every bit as good as Raiders. But you add on this extra layer to it uh, and you have this character with Indiana Jones who we've just kind of seen be cool over the course of the last two movies. Like, he's somebody who doesn't really have, like, an arc in any specific movie for the most part. No, he has one. Uh, He raids it in the first one. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. Uh, A character arc, a story arc, uh, ARC. You know, he's somebody who doesn't really have any kind of arc throughout the first two because he's just like, you know, he's on this adventure and it's an adventure, like, you know, it's a pulpy 1930s uh, sort of thing. Uh, And in this movie, they kind of give him and his dad a character arc to work with. And they also give him an arc in Crystal Skull, which is less successful. But yeah, I I think he is uh, really interesting in here seeing that kind of cool guy persona deflated a little bit. uh, And, you know, just really looking for approval from his dad. And also he gets really goofy in this movie. Uh, The moments that always I always forget about and then always always makes me laugh so hard is when Indy and Ilsa are sneaking into the castle and Indy pretends to be a Scottish uh, drape, a tapestry uh, inspector. Uh, and he just doing this. It's Harrison Ford, who is like one of the gruff, most unfun men that has ever existed. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just doing this like, oh, I'm here to see your tapestries. Your tapestries, man. Where are they? Uh, it's it's so funny. <laughs> yeah. And you, you even mentioned like the screwball comedy aspects of Temple. I feel like they are dialed to 11 here with just oh, yeah. all the physical gags, like the when they're stuck inside the fireplace inside that same castle and they just keep spinning back and forth. While Doing the, like the young Frankenstein bookcase bit. Right? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Put the uh, lever yes. back. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's it's so, so good. And so, yeah, this is one that um, I, I feel like many people always like, well, Raiders is, you know, the consensus choice for the best one. It's obviously the best. And like, sure. But I don't know, man. Last Crusade. It's 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 the one that I've watched the most for sure. It's the one that I've seen the most times. Uh, it's one I always go back to. It's one that I think about all the time. Uh, I have, uh, if you listen to this podcast, actually, this the theme song to this podcast ends with a quote from Last Crusade. Uh, you hear the knight going, you have chosen wisely. And because because when I was originally thinking about naming this podcast, uh, the name of the podcast was going to be You Have Chosen Wisely. <laughs> uh, and then Mike D talked me out of it because I was like, that doesn't tell you anything about what this podcast is. Mike and Mike go to the movies is a bit more descriptive of what you uh, guys ended up with. So <laughs> exactly. I not think that I thought, disagree. I think my thought process was like, oh, you, the listener, have chosen wisely <laughs> by selecting this podcast. <laughs> Well, I think you did a good job adding in the soundbite, but yeah, title-wise, 
yeah, I know no, it's I, two I, mics. I know it's the movies. Exactly. Yes, hundred yeah. um, percent. Uh, yeah, Last Crusade. Uh, any random stuff you want to mention about Last Crusade, Nick? Uh, anything that you saw in your little making of documentaries that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> would, um, would be useful here. <laughs> useful, I don't know. Uh, but it's just it again bringing back a little bit just how important it is to have Spielberg. I feel like anyone else directing the third movie in a trilogy of adventure movies, there'd be a lot of repeated stuff. And sure, granted, there's some re- repeated like set piece style things, especially with the tank chase near the end that kind of resembles the one in Raiders, but. Again, just making that smart leap to add this emotional depth to Indiana Jones that is essentially non-existent for the other two movies is just brilliant. And again, the Sean Connery meta aspect of it with James Bond is great. And just the cathartic ending scene, like I guess in one of the earlier drafts, it was going to be he's Indiana Jones is killed and then is resurrected by like the Monkey King or something. And there's too many extra layers there. Right. But having the like emotional beat of being like, this is my dad, I want to earn his trust his love and everything like that it's just it's brilliant i don't know yeah uh and it's and it's so playful in so many aspects and it kind of subverts your expectations in so many things and i think one of my favorite things is that after having two movies where you know there's been a female sidekick for indiana jones uh this movie sets you up with one uh with ilsa and it turns out she is uh, a nazi she she's working against indiana jones the entire time uh which is such a fun twist and then uh sean connery kind of becomes the bond girl for this movie yeah. uh, essentially like it's just their relationship that's important uh which is really great and at this point i will reveal that uh you know Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade uh, is a movie that I love so much that it inspired the name for my dog. Uh, my dog is named Indiana specifically so that I could tell people we named the dog Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> And about like 25% of people get it, maybe like a quarter of people get it. Uh, And those are the people that I like to be friends with. Um, (laughs) Is it more people asking you why the dog is named that or you thinking of any excuse to bring it up yourself? A little column A, a little column B, I think. Um, But yeah, otherwise, uh, also, I mean, this movie, uh, and I talk about other playful stuff. This movie, I've seen this going around on Twitter lately and because people have been rewatching all the Indiana Jones movies before the fifth one comes out. But the opening prologue sequence, which has young Indiana Jones, uh, played by River Phoenix, uh, who, incredible actor, gone too soon. Uh, we recently screened My Own Private Idaho at the Roxy, and, uh, you know, people were going nuts. Like, people were sobbing uh, in the hallways uh, as they were leaving the theater and uh, all that kind of stuff, which came out the same year as Last Crusade, actually, which is wild. Or at least I, at least I think I did. It was 1989, I'm pretty sure. Um, but maybe it was 91. Maybe I'm mixing it up. But in any, in any case, River Phoenix, fantastic actor, playing young indie. And this whole sequence is one of those things that, like, you know, we make fun of prequels for, like, hitting you over the head with, like, oh, here's how he got this, you know, in, in like, in Solo, A Star Wars Story. Like, we didn't need a na- an origin for his name, Solo, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And, like, oh, here's how he got his blaster, cool. Indiana Jones Last Crusade does all that in the first 10 minutes of the movie and it's a delight. <laughs> it's so good. Cool. Uh, like You see how he got his whip and you see how he got the hat and you see how he got the scar on his face and all that kind of stuff and it's just it's so fun and playful and just done throughout this huge big set piece uh, which is nuts and you see how he got his fear of snakes in this. Like everything that defined Indiana Jones happened in the span of this like 15 minutes of his <laughs> life when he was a teenager. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but I think one of the strengths is just that they're powerful powering right through it is if you take time like in solo they're like let's have four lines about how you're alone and that's why your name is solo and this is why it's important whereas this is almost it's not played off as a joke but it's just so lively and so fast that you don't have time to go hey maybe that's stupid because they've just (laughs) gone right through it 
yeah, 100%. This was also at a time before movies really did that a lot, you know? And I think that's also kind of a key part of it, too. There weren't as many franchises back then and, uh, you know, certainly not as many successful franchises that were as big as Indiana Jones uh, and that could do that kind of stuff. Uh, and, yeah, and they do it all in the first 15 minutes and then it's just an Indiana Jones adventure from that point forward and it's so, so good. And, yeah, Marcus Brody, uh, like we said before, is super funny in this movie. Sala returns and so you get like, this great, like, ensemble cast. Harrison Ford, Sean Connery, John Rice davies and Den Homelia who kind of create this, like, you know, like this big adventure. Like, these really feel like a huge group of people that are, like, having fun together on adventures and that's great. Uh, and then also the, the supernatural, like, religious elements of it, I think, are really fascinating. I think the Holy Grail is a great uh, MacGuffin for them to chase after in this movie, much more so than the stones in Temple of Doom, uh, <laughs> for example. Yeah. You know, and that's one of the cool things about, I mean, one of the weird, well, I guess one of the weird things about Temple of Doom is that you know, every other Indiana Jones movie is like they're chasing after a pretty well-known mythological item, right? You're chasing after the Lost Ark. You're chasing after the Holy Grail. You're chasing after the Crystal Skull, <laughs> which is less well-known. But certainly there's like, you know, stuff there. Uh, and then in Temple of Doom, it's like these are some stones that control the village, I guess. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And even if they're not well-known, Raiders of the Lost Ark gives you five straight minutes of here's what the Ark is. Here's why you care. Yeah. Holy Grail, pretty self-explanatory, plus the moment where they find the Grail, they explain this is what will happen if you do a bad job. Right. And yeah, the Shankara <laughs> stones are just, I think these are the reason our plants aren't growing. And it's like, <laughs> Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Not really sure. I see the drive there, but okay. Yeah. Which is one of those things. Like, it's it's a weird thing where like every Indiana Jones movie has Indy being the skeptic, being like that can't possibly happen, even though he's seen insane things in his life. Um, yeah. But I, and I think that's part of the reason why Temple of Doom is a prequel to the first one, uh, is so that they can like kind of get away with being like, well, he hasn't reunited with uh, you know Marion yet, so we don't have to get Karen Allen back. Uh, also, uh, he hasn't seen the arc open up uh, and seen like the craziness that happened out of that, so we don't have to deal with that kind of character development in this movie we could just have this happened before that <laughs> but you'd think he'd be a bit more open to ideas after seeing a man get his heart ripped out of his chest and still live you would uh, think so. whereas yeah even in raiders he's a bit like eh, whatever yeah um but it's also like I, th I think what works better about the way harrison ford plays this as opposed to a lot of like knockoffs is he seems jaded to the fact that there are these supernatural yeah. religious things but he's not making a joke of it like he's still like he's not picking up the different grails and being like well let's see if i want to live today or something like he's not yeah. making throwaway lines he's like <laughs> i get the gravity of this but I'm really pissed off that I'm the one who has to do it. Yes. Um, and I think that's what makes his character so compelling as opposed to like the Chris Pratt's of the world and various other iterations that have tried to become yes. Indiana Jones. Yeah. I mean, when they, I mean, it's been years and uh, you know, they've, they've talked about doing Indiana Jones five for a really long time. I think they first announced in the Indy five back in like 2016. But like before that, there was like talk about, there was rumors about like, Oh, they're making a new Indiana Jones movie and they're going to recast. It's going to be a young person. And Chris Pratt was the name that kept coming up. And it was one of those things. It's like, man, that would suck. Yeah, <laughs> that, would, that would be rough. Uh, and I think it's one of those things where, because he had done action and comedy, he was sort of like a good, you know, a, a good avatar for that. And like, you know, I think he's phenomenal in guardians of the galaxy. Um, but like, he's a better doof than he is like, you know, somebody who's like jaded and serious. Like Indy is, but while also being kind of lighthearted, it's a, it's a, a strange mix that Harrison Ford brings to it. Uh, and it's one of those things that like, unlike Bond, where you can kind of re like, you know, it's a series designed to be recasted, you know, over the course of uh, many, many years and stuff. I don't know. It, like they've, they've talked about recasting Indiana Jones. I don't think they can <laughs> or 
if they can, they should not. They, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's it's not worth it. No amount of return is worth that risk. Whereas, yeah. like you said, Bond is a pre-existing property. Anyone else can fit into the role. And I'm sure even when Connery got cast, people were like, well, that's not who I envisioned after reading those books. Sure. Indiana Jones shows up and it's Harrison Ford. It's hard at any point to look at someone else and go, well, that guy's like Harrison Ford because you're wrong. Uh, yeah. And it's just, it, it's never going to work. And River Phoenix does a good job playing early him, but it's not like anyone was dying for, let's get five movies that are just River Phoenix because we <laughs> we got that part out of the way. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Although speaking of, um, so in addition to The Last Crusade, um, you know, for a long time, that was it for Indiana Jones movies. Uh, 2008 mm-hmm. was Crystal Skull. So there was like a very long period where there was no more Indiana Jones movies. However, there was an Indiana Jones TV show. Uh, that aired. Uh, I think the young, the, the adventures of young Indiana Jones or whatever it was called. It ran for like two or three seasons. Uh, there was, a, and they were all like movie length episodes. I have not watched a second of the show. <laughs> um, so I'm curious if you've ever watched the uh, young Indiana Jones TV show, Nick. Again, I think back before Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was coming out, they were doing like reruns on for some reason, the history channel. Yeah. Uh, so I think I've seen at least two or three of them, but again, nothing, nothing happened in those episodes that were enough to stick with me to remember 15 that, years later. That's kind of what I've heard. And I think George yeah. Lucas was involved with the show in some capacity. Um, but I, from what I've heard, <laughs> he's about the weakest the sh- part of the movies. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, it, let's talk about that. I mean, George Lucas yeah. is, you know, he, it was his and Spielberg's collaborations. Uh, George Lucas and Spielberg would write the uh, movies together or Lucas would develop the story. Spielberg would direct and there would usually be some other screenwriter involved with it. I know the original Raiders was written by Lawrence Kasdan, right? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, and Lucas post Star Wars um, really didn't direct much. Like he didn't really do any big directing until the Star Wars prequels. He directed all three of those. And those movies are very famously perhaps not great yeah. uh, movies that I grew up with and can quote incessantly and know everything about. Um, but uh, you know, and they're movies that I can watch and be somewhat entertained uh, still to this day, but like I, they're not good. They're not, they're, <laughs> they're not very good, but I think there's a lot of really good ideas in the prequels that like aren't fully formed or like, with a stronger script, like a stronger, you know, uh, like a, a pass on the script or whatever, like somebody doing dialogue for it could be really interesting. I think there's a lot of, I think, I always think of George Lucas as a really good idea man uh, who whose work is better uh, explored through other people, yeah. uh, you know, and- And if your friend is Spielberg, why not? Exactly, yes. And yeah. so for the Indiana Jones movies, that is largely the case where he's the idea man, he comes up with the MacGuffin, he comes up with the kind of the general outline for the story, and then Spielberg and the screenwriter, they kind of put it together. And Harrison Ford is also pretty involved with all this because I think he's uh, been pretty open about uh, caring much more about Indiana Jones than he does Star Wars. He, like, yes. he's, he's much more attached to the character of Indy than he is to Han Solo and was begging to be killed off from Return of the Jedi uh, when, the, <laughs> when that movie came out and then didn't. Uh, he uh, Lucas refused to because, yeah, you got to sell toys, man. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I think, you know, what, I mean, what do you think of Lucas's role in all this, Mike? Or Nick? Sorry, it's a... <laughs> That's a reflex. Sorry. Freudian slip. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, again, like you mentioned, the ideas thing, I think that's where Lucas is strong, where, again, if he hadn't come up to Spielberg with, oh, I have this idea for this 30s serial thing. Now that Star Wars is out of the way, I think we should work on it together. Um, I know this is just from like Spielberg documentaries and things like that. He was having trouble getting companies to finance him, especially after 1941, which was very expensive. Went over yeah. budget and, a big and Lucas, yeah, and Lucas is known for you're going to make money no matter what, and you're an ideas man. 
but I feel like we start experiencing diminishing returns almost mm-hmm. immediately where he shows up with this idea, Spielberg and Ford run with it. They get Lawrence Kasdan. It's a phenomenal script, phenomenal movie. And then even in the documentaries I was watching, Spielberg was like, yeah, George came to me saying, we got to make a trilogy. You're you're in for a trilogy. I have these ideas for a trilogy. And then by Temple of Doom, he was like, all right, I, yeah, I lied. I only had one idea. Um <laughs> And then they start bringing in other people, which is kind of why I think Temple feels a bit more piecemeal. Uh, Last Crusade, there's a bit more distance. And clearly Spielberg has moved on to a different portion of his filmmaking life. Whereas Lucas, I feel, again, watching the documentaries and reading all of these articles, Lucas's whole thing was like, I think we should go, you know, rescue a 200-year-old pygmy and uh, Indiana Jones can be killed and brought back to life. And here's all these 800 other things. And it's like, maybe we rein it back a little bit and that's that's why it's good to have someone who can say no yes and the star wars prequels as you mentioned are the reasons why you need a no man because otherwise you end up with that yeah hearing quotes like that it's like it's a miracle the first star wars exists (laughs) you know (laughs) it's it's kind of nuts and you do hear about like you know the opening like you know the making of star wars and it wasn't called star wars it was called like the star killer chronicles episode one will of the wisps or whatever like the secret of the wills right uh, yeah. And it was all about like these little like will like will things in the force and all that. Like it, it was complete nonsense. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and it was I mean, and again, George Lucas, great ideas guy. I think there's a lot of great stuff there, like in raw form that it needs to be like kind of crystallized uh, a little bit. And so, I mean, very famously, his wife, Marsha Lucas, uh, kind of refined that script and like, you know, edited the movie and kind of put it together into something that was worthwhile. And, uh, you know, Brian De Palma, I, I think there's the Spielberg documentary on HBO, the 2017 movie, um, which is really good and kind of goes through Spielberg's whole career. And they talk about uh, watching Star Wars for the first time, like a test screening where Lucas is showing them Star Wars and it's him, like Spielberg, Scorsese, Brian De Palma, and somebody else. I'm blanking on like, you know, like the- Is it like, Zemeckis or is that too early? They'd be too early for Zemeckis. Um, okay. But so, somebody in their crew, like the, you know, yeah. that, you know, that new Hollywood 1970s crew, right? And they went out to dinner afterwards and De Palma was just like, made fun of George Lucas so hard um, because he could not understand anything that was happening in the movie and told him, you need some kind of opening crawl. <laughs> To, to explain what's going on. Uh, and then De Palma, I believe, wrote the original Star Wars opening crawl by himself and just gave it to Lucas as like, you know, I'm sorry I was roasting you so hard. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to help you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, and yeah, just stuff like that is is kind of nuts. Um, but, you know, that's it. I do I do love George Lucas and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, his his role in these movies is really interesting uh, and the way Spielberg kind of filters, filters that out and creates something tangible for them. Uh, but yeah, so the young indie TV show uh, George Lucas was involved in it ran for a couple seasons. Uh, from what I understand, I, I think people liked it at the time. Uh, but it was, you know, if you watch it now, they're fairly like, you know, the TV budgets, they're fairly stodgy, kind of boring. There's a lot of talking, uh, rather than, you know, adventuring, uh, I believe. And then I think there's a couple actors that play indie like, uh, and Sean Patrick Flannery is one of them. But uh, yeah, and then there's one episode where Harrison Ford does appear in like a bookended role. Uh, like he shows up at the beginning and the end as an old Indiana Jones, like in the 70s or something. And he has like an eye patch, <laughs> uh, all that stuff. And he's as if, as if he's <laughs> to like- To show the time has tale. passed. Exactly, yes. Which is, I think they should have brought back the eye patch for Dial of Destiny. I think that would have been a good, <laughs> a good idea. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, just wanted to kind of briefly bring up the young Indiana Jones TV show. Any last thoughts about Last Crusade before we move on, Nick? It would have been, again, as much as I am a fan of- Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and I'm excited for the next one. The series should have ended there um, because yeah. 
again, risk is not worth whatever reward. Uh, uh, yeah, and honestly, the image of uh, you know them riding off into the sunset together is just, it's perfect. It's so good. Yeah. It's, it's a perfect finale to this trilogy. And then there are two more movies. Uh, yeah, and so, it feels like the Inglorious Bastards, this might be my masterpiece scene again, but yeah. to cap off a trilogy. And then for some reason he was like, now nah, I'll, I'll make a couple more. Yes. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, this and uh, this was 1989. It was almost 20 years later that they finally made Kingdom of the Crystal Skull in 2008. And so, yeah, I mean, all three of those original movies came back, uh, came out in the 80s, like, you know, three or four years apart each, right? Um, and then, you know, there's a 20-year gap, uh, and Indiana Jones, like Star Wars, has become, like, crystallized by a generation who, like, grew up watching and rewatching these movies. And so when George Lucas decides he wants to make another one and he gets Spielberg to do it, like, Spielberg wants to do it. Like, everybody's on board to make a new Indiana Jones, and they've kind of talked about it for years, and they finally sit, sit down to make it. And seemingly what happened is that uh, George Lucas was at this point going nuts. You know, he's <laughs> he has just made the Star Wars prequels and is basically now focusing on bringing back Indiana Jones and is bringing in all his crazy ideas. And I think Spielberg and Ford were going along with them at this point. They were like, yeah, you know, let's just give George this one sort of thing. It's, yeah. it's sort of what it feels like, right? That's, a, yeah, again, a, briefly in like the documentaries, it's a lot of George throughout the 90s bringing up reasons why they should make others and Spielberg just constantly being like, I think I'm past that. Yeah. Um, and then once we get into the making of the movie itself, like, whereas the other ones, like you've mentioned, Globetrotting, this movie was entirely filmed in the United States, mainly because Spielberg was like, well, I don't want to be too far away from my family and I don't really want to go anywhere. Yeah. So like, it's very clear who was passionate about continuing the franchise and just how much Spielberg was like, well, I like Indiana Jones and this is what I can add to it, but it, it feels far more Lucas than the other ones. Yes, and I think this one also, I mean, just, I mean, just looking at Spielberg's career, at this point, it's been a couple of years since he's made a movie and the his last two movies were, uh, I, I think throughout the 2000s, which I think is a really fascinating, uh, like I think Spielberg's career in general is fascinating, um, but I think if you look at the 2000s and kind of like post the heyday of Spielberg blockbusters and all that kind of stuff. The 2000s and the 2010s, late period Spielberg, I think some of the more interesting parts of his career, because I mean, the 2000s, you have a couple of, you have AI, uh, which is, you know, an unfinished Stanley Kubrick script that he like fit, brought to the end he finished for his friend and uh are you an ai fan nick just out of curiosity i fucking love ai ai I don't, fucking rules <laughs> i don't think i can watch it again though it makes me too like existentially depressed yeah it is one of the uh, most heartbreaking things i've ever seen uh, it's incredible and that's when i came to much later like only a few years ago i watched ai for the first time and i was like man i i can't believe people hated this when it came out i mean i can believe it because it leaves you on a real down note yeah. um but uh and it's it's one of those things where like, were you expecting a Stanley Kubrick movie? Were you expecting a Spielberg movie? It's sort of a blend of the two. AI is incredible. I think it's like a top five Spielberg movie, honestly. It's it's fantastic. But yeah, you have that. You have Minority Report, which is a pretty big hit. Catch Me If You Can. Like, he has big hits in here. Um, but there's also some misfires in the 2000s. I think The Terminal, uh, chief among them, is like one that people kind of point to as like, well, this is, you know, I think it actually was a hit financially, but like critically it wasn't all well received. I think War of the Worlds at the time, kind of the same deal, although that movie is also great. 
Um, I, I was a big fan of War of the Worlds uh, back then, and I still am. And, you know, Munich was really well-respected critically, but didn't really have the financial success that uh, some of his other critical hits have had. Uh, and so I think it was a weird point in Spielberg's career where he was like, yeah, I guess I'll do Indiana Jones. Like, it's a, it's a safe thing. It's a surefire bet for him to do an indie movie, right? That was, I think that was kind of the thinking. Uh, and Harrison Ford wanted to come back. I think he was always game to do more Indiana Jones. Yeah, but again, as much as I like this movie, like you're saying, it does feel like a step backwards or not not even a step backwards, but it, it feels like the most Spielberg as a jobber yeah. type movie, which for the rest of his career, there are hits and misses. I hate the BFG, um, <laughs> but every single one, you can understand why he did it. Whereas this one is the most, again, I'm, I, it sounds like I'm very negative for a movie that I very much like. Um, okay. But it, it feels just the most anyone else could have directed this. I'm happy it was Spielberg because it looks better than other movies. Uh, and uh, from what I hear about Dial of Destiny and what little I've heard, the action scenes are not as kinetic and everything because nobody has eyes like Spielberg. But right. I don't know. It's just, it's it's exciting to have, and again, at this point, I hadn't had any Indiana Jones history. So I was excited because I was like, well, I just watched the other ones. Now they're making a new one. This is great. <laughs> um, but it does feel the least progressive of all of the other ones. Yeah. I mean, this is the first one that I got to see in a theater because I was not alive in the eighties. Uh, yeah. and so same with you. And, but, uh, but I had grew up watching the Indiana Jones movies. I was a big fan of all of them. And so I was really, really looking forward to Indiana Jones four. I couldn't believe it was happening, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. And I was so in the bag for Spielberg and Lucas. And especially at that time, like, I think I knew that some people didn't like the star Wars prequels, but like, I was probably like 14 or 15 and I was like, they're still pretty good. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so I was still like pretty in the, for Spielberg and Lucas and to see Ford back. And I remember being so excited when the trailer first dropped. I downloaded it on my PS4 because that's how they did it. <laughs> like, they, I, I think they, like, maybe they put YouTube movie trails on YouTube at the time. I don't think they did, though. Uh, and you would be able to, like, download them for free in, like, the PlayStation Store, and that's how you, you would watch trailers. <laughs> Uh, and I like watched it over and over again on my P or not a PS4, PS3. Sorry. It was on my PS3. And so, yeah, I would watch them that way. Uh, and I was so excited for it. And I remember going to see it in the theater, mostly liking it. I had a good time with it and I saw it with my friends and I think we all kind of liked it, but we all kind of agreed like the last like 15, 20 minutes, not great. <laughs> It's like, and I, and I think watching it again now, I would probably expand that to be like, maybe like the whole final third of the movie is not super great. But the first half of it, like the first half of the movie, gangbusters. I'm a big fan of everything that happens in the first half of this movie. I think it's so fun. I think it's great to see Ford back as Indy uh, in this movie. I think he's still got it. Uh, I think the sequences like the nuke the fridge scene is super fun. I think the motorcycle chase through the library, uh, through the university campus is so cool and so kinetic and uh, all that kind of stuff stuff. Uh, and yeah, I think there's so much good stuff in the first half of Crystal Skull uh, that it's a shame what happens in the second half. <laughs> well, to, yeah, to repeat some of the stuff you've said, all of those action set pieces are great. I think deciding to put him in the 50s set pieces, not just do, oh, let's do another fun adventure movie. There's the espionage aspects of it, the Cold War aspects of it, and then right. the ultimate B-movie aspects of it, which some people don't like, but I absolutely adore. Sure, and I, and I like the idea, like I get that argument for it, where it's like, there's aliens in this one because this is like a 50s sci-fi movie. And it's like, yeah, I get that. Okay, that, that makes sense, I, that tracks. I think the actual scene with the aliens is really bad. Yes. Um, <laughs> What I can say is I'm shocked at how many people are 
disappointed in the third act based on the fact that it's not like the whole rest of the movie is built up like, oh, what are these skulls? Within 10 minutes, you see an alien. That alien looks better than any of the CGI aliens later on. But it's not like you get to the third act, they're in... Damn it. I thought I could remember the name of that uh, temple off the top of my head, and I absolutely cannot. Um, but The Crystal Skull Temple. Yes. It'll come to me in like 25 minutes, so we just got to keep rolling. Right, yes. Um, but you can't act fully surprised or be like, oh, well, this completely shattered my expectations because I assumed more religious aspects or supernatural in some way, but it's just sci-fi because the entire rest of the movie builds up to that. So other than people's preconceived notions as to what a fourth Indiana Jones movie should be, it checks off all of the boxes that it was trying to deliver. And yeah, some scenes look better than others. The beginning set pieces are far more elaborate. And I think that's, again, because they're filming at Yale. They are filming in New Mexico. When they go into the jungle, which is... Jesus Christ, it could not look any less like a jungle. And yeah. I know it's dangerous to go and film in the middle of the jungle, especially with big buzz saws and monkeys and car chases. Sure. It looks like a soundstage and it looks like shit. But <laughs> <laughs> the parts leading up to it are great. Yeah, no, 100% agree. I think uh, all, the, all the stuff leading up to it is fun. It's just the uh, the last third of the movie really kind of uh, tanks uh, it a little, or loses some steam. Again, I've always defended Crystal Skull, and I've always like said it's pretty good. And like I said before, I was like, oh, this might be better than Temple of Doom. I Watching it now, I don't think it is, because I don't think it's as well made as Temple of Doom. Um, but... I think the if the if the second half of the movie was as good as the first half of the movie, this would absolutely be better than Temple of Doom. I think, hundred uh, percent. And yeah, I think it's what's there. It, like the ingredients are there for something really great. I think that uh, Indy's relationship with Mutt Williams, played by Shia LaBeouf, is really good for that first half and kind of like reflects. Uh, the Sean Connery indie relationship in Last Crusade, and but has Indy on the other side of that, right? And I think once Indy finds out that Mutt is his son, that's when the movie just uh, stops dead for me. That's yeah, <laughs> that's that's the moment because I, I think their relationship is great up to that point. Uh, and then I think it is funny to have Indy immediately turn into like a concerned dad uh, who is like, "Oh, you're going back to school?" After he said, "Like, you know," I think that's funny, but I think it's. Not true to the character, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and I think what they do with Karen Allen as Mary in this movie, which I was so excited when I found out they were bringing her back in Crystal Skull. Again, it's fun to see her when she first shows up, but she is not the same Marion that she was in Raiders, um, which to a degree I kind of like. I think so for a lot of like, you know, legacy sequels and stuff, when they bring back a character from the past, they're always like frozen in amber as exactly the same as they were back then. I think when you see Han Solo in Force Awakens, it's like, ah, oh, he hasn't there's he hasn't developed as a person at all in the last 30 yeah. years. Huh? <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I to a degree I kinda I kinda get that, but at the same time, like she's not as fun anymore. Like Mary Marion's not as fun and she is more of like a henpecking wife in this movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, ex ex girlfriend or whatever, and it's it's kind of a bummer. It's it's kind of a bummer, even though Karen Allen's great. Well, they yeah, they give her they appease her a little bit by giving her one scene where she gets to drive a car, but other than yeah. that, it's a lot of all right. He's gonna do this, and you're gonna stand over there, and then we're gonna put you in the back seat of another car and drive you around, and we're gonna have you stand in the background. But she does. There's nothing of her own volition. Whereas yeah. in Raiders. So much of what makes that movie great is there. Everything's kinetic. And this movie is just people essentially like, all right, we're going to move this way because we have to. But like a lot of the background characters aren't given a lot. 
And yeah. that is frustrating. I still like I like having Karen Allen back. I really like Ray Winstone. I don't agree that he should be like a triple agent or whatever, but in one of the documentaries, which I am sorry that I keep referencing over and over and over no, again. No, absolutely. Give us more context, Nick. He he gives some depth to it by saying, like, well, yeah, he's been switching sides so long that every time he's with the Russians, he thinks he's with the Americans, and every time he's with the Americans, he thinks he's with the Russians. And I was like, all right, so that's kind of interesting where he's just he's almost like a lapsed spy where he's like, I don't even know where I'm supposed to end up here. Yeah. And again, there's a lot more layers to this movie that I think, like you said earlier, they're more interesting in concept. The execution, yes, could have been better. Yeah. But because I can, you can still see the clear framework of everything this movie was doing. Even things that don't necessarily work in the third act still work well enough for me that I'm I'm willing to I'm willing to get over it a little bit. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's still and, not great. Yeah. And I and I do find I don't know, I, I find action movie heroes getting older somewhat inherently interesting. I think and Crystal Skull I think obviously has that because you can't get around the fact that Indiana Jones is much older in this movie. Uh, and they you know they do that. They said it 20 years later. It takes place in the 50s instead of the 30s, all that kind of stuff. But and you see that in Indiana Jones in Harrison Ford, but also in Spielberg. I think that's a theme that has come up over and over again uh, in the later half of his career where he's kind of getting older, reflecting on his legacy, all that kind of stuff. That's very much here in Crystal Skull. I think there is interesting thematic territory for this movie. And yeah, it's just is, uh, it's kind of a bummer that it's not a little bit better. Um, but yeah. again, the first half, it's great. Uh, I really yeah. enjoy the first half. And it is weird that like, you know, when this movie came out, uh, I, you know, I think it got okay reviews. Like it did, it did all right critically. And you know, it was a hit financially. People went to go see it. Uh, and then just kind of quickly after it came out, it kind of was a similar target to the Star Wars prequels where it was like, well, this sucks. You know, that <laughs> that was yeah. kind of the thing. And then it kind of just got, got lashed into that binary where it's like, well, the first three Indiana Jones movies are unimpeachable classics and Indiana Jones 4 sucks. Uh, and that, that is unfortunate. I think Crystal Skull has a lot going for it. Yeah. And again, if you build up for 18 years that this is what I want the movie to be and it's not exactly that, I can yeah. understand being frustrated. I think I came into it from a lucky perspective of, I just watched the other ones three months earlier, and yeah. now I get to see a new one. Great. <laughs> yeah. um, so maybe I'm just the absolute target audience for it, so it works. But just an another thing to bring up, just because we were talking about the characters earlier, I think a massive strength that this movie has that the other ones don't, and I did mention it a little bit, is the villain. Where, yeah, yeah Belloc shows up, and he's interesting. Molaram is evil and nothing else, like I said. Uh, Donovan, you cannot show me a man who played General Veers and Christados in uh, James Bond and have me not know that he's the villain the entire time. I always uh, forget he's the villain in Last Crusade. Okay. Uh, it's, I, I truly do. Like when I watch Last Crusade again uh, and Donovan shows up and explains to Indiana Jones what the mission is, I completely forget, I forgot that he is the bad guy. <laughs> and every single time I watch it, I have that reaction where I'm like, oh yeah, this, this guy's the bad guy. <laughs> well, he has like that trust no one line and then like, 20 minutes later, he goes, I told you not to trust anyone. And yeah. it reminds me of like the Austin Powers thing where he's like, we're not so different, you and I, I told you that. And then it cuts to like five minutes earlier when yes. he said that. Um, yes. Although, it's just, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, quick thing about Donovan too. And I just, I just found this out on Twitter uh, the other day. Um, I saw this clip going around uh, and I had never noticed this before, but of course, Donovan, the guy who played Donovan, Julian Glover, he was in Empire <laughs> Strike Back as General Veers. And in Last Crusade, uh, when Donovan first enters the room, uh, there's a piano playing in the room behind him and it's 
playing the Imperial March from Empire Strikes Back as like a subtle hint that he's the bad guy. <laughs> okay. Yeah, subtle. <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's, a, it's like a different arrangement of it. So you don't like quite, okay. like I never noticed it until that video. So yeah, it's, yeah, I thought that was a pretty cool thing. Well, I'm excited for another reason to rewatch <laughs> Last <Yeah>. Crusade. <laughs> um, but I, again, one of the pros that this movie has is Kate Blanchett shows up immediately, bowl cut sword. I'm like, fuck yeah, she's going balls to the wall. And yep. she it's unrelenting the whole movie. Yeah, like uh, it's, it's weird. Crystal Skull, like I think it is the worst indie movie, but it has the best villain of, the, of all four movies, kind of. Like it's the one that actually has like a lot of presence throughout the movie. Kate Blanchett's so good in it. And yeah, she's great. Yeah, and she's essentially the driving force behind it where, again, in Raiders, they want the arc so Hitler doesn't get the arc. You can't really beat that motive. Sure. Uh, Temple of Doom, kind of lost amongst it. They're looking for rocks. Uh, Last Crusade, <laughs> again, the Nazis want it, so naturally you have to find it. And this one, it's interesting to be like, well, she's in search of science and like higher belief and everything like that, and it makes it more compelling. So even if, yes, she talks like she's in Rocky and Bowwinkle, uh, <laughs> and the few action scenes that she has look bad, mainly because of CGI woods, um, yep. I think she's a lot more interesting and is a lot more compelling than what most of the other movies have offered. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and there's just random bits throughout this movie that I do like. Like, I like when the guy gets eaten by fire ants. That's pretty yeah. fun. It's great. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. <laughs> I'm excited to see what Dial of Destiny has. Yes. Uh, um, so, yeah, Crystal Skull, a movie that uh, I think was unfairly maligned in its time. Yeah. I think a movie that uh, has a lot more going for it than people would have you believe. It's not great, I don't think, but the first half is. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and you can watch the first half and be like, man, this is a good Indiana Jones movie, and then turn it off and you're good. Let me um, duck out. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and then it, and then this movie does kind of aim to serve as a finale for Indiana Jones. Like it's, and that's a weird thing too, where like, you know, this movie and, and it was sort of a family for Indiana Jones and they were kind of talking about, you know, making it like a pass the baton sort of thing where Shia LaBeouf would be the star of this series going forward. That was sort of the talking point when Crystal Skull came out. And obviously that didn't pan out. Yeah. Uh, I think we well, could there's be literally <laughs> at the end of the movie, yeah. he could pick up the hat. And that I think that's what crystallized it to me that either they're going to make one more with Ford or they're going to stop is because Mutt almost picks up the hat and then Harrison Ford is like, ha ha, not so yeah. fast, pipsqueak. And then <laughs> continues on in the mantle of Indiana Jones. Yes, uh, which is uh, a very funny moment and a good like meta thing because I think they knew that when Shia LaBeouf was cast in this and he was a very hot star at the time. I think people maybe forget about that, but you know he had trans- he had that like summer of 2007 where he was the star of like Disturbia, Transformers, and Surfs Up like back to back. You know, maybe we don't th- talk about Surfs Up that much anymore. But I love big Surfs hit. Up. I've Almost as good a movie as Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all, all three of those movies were big hits in Shia LaBeouf, especially because Transformers was huge. Uh, and then, you know, it was immediately, you know, Spielberg produced Transformers. And I think while he was on set with that, he, you know, got Shia LaBeouf and got him on for Indy 4. And yeah, he was, Shia LaBeouf had a huge couple of years and that kind of culminated with Indy 4. And, you know, he was in two more Transformers movies and stuff. But he was kind of seen as like, oh man, if they're bringing in him, like they must want to start the series again and have him be the lead. And I think they had talked about that in interviews around Crystal Skull. They were like, that was sort of the plan. And that moment at the end is sort of a nod to that, but also like, oh, yeah, maybe not. We'll see what happens. So, you know, kind of hedging your bets a little bit. They could take it both ways. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so obviously that did not pan out. I'm pretty glad it didn't. Uh, but I do think Shia LaBeouf is good as Mutt Williams in this movie. Like he's a fun presence. Yeah. And people don't give him enough credit for 
the the greaser stuff again. We keep talking about the first half, but yeah, the first half one, is so good. <laughs> that one scene where they're in the diner, he pulls out the switchblade, and then the two Russians are there with the pistols, and then he starts like an impromptu bar fight between yes. the greasers and the preppy kids. It's great, and I I don't know. He does a fantastic job with all of that lead-in stuff. But similar to what you said, there's a turning point where once the realization happens that they're father and son, and not just two ruffians with similar life paths. Yeah. They both, all of the edginess is worn off of him because it's almost like he's trying to impress Harrison Ford and Harrison Ford immediately just becomes angry old man and doesn't get to have the fun that they're having throughout the first half. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, definitely. So Crystal Skull, a movie that I'm I'm glad we're both kind of on the same page on. It's good. People should watch it. (laughs) I feel like I talked more about this one than any of the other three, so maybe people will hate that. Well, I I think, you know, this is weirdly the one that I feel like should have the most discussion behind it because everybody already knows how good the first three are. You know, people people know those and all that kind of stuff. But Crystal Skull, I feel like, uh, deserves a little bit more time for people to kind of catch up with. Uh, and I think a lot of people are, I think there's a slight reappraisal happening with Crystal Skull recently because Dial of Destiny is coming out. Uh, yeah. And so Dial of Destiny is going to be out uh, pretty soon in a couple of days after you hear this episode. So Nick and I have not seen it yet. I look forward to watching it. I, I do want to see it. Uh, Steven Spielberg was supposed to direct Dial of Destiny. It was, uh, you know, on in talks for many years. And uh, when it was originally announced, he was going to be part of it. He was going to direct it. He's still producing it. But uh, Spielberg eventually dropped out of directing Dial of Destiny, I believe, because yeah, he had too much going on and he didn't. I think he wasn't feeling it as much. And I think, you know, after Crystal Skull, that's something that you want Spielberg. Like, if Spielberg's not feeling it, let's not make him do it. Yeah, you know, force uh, him. <laughs> But and George Lucas not involved with Dial of Destiny either because he sold off Lucasfilm. So this is like a fully you know Disney production, Indiana Jones uh, five Spielberg not directing. He is producing. I think he ultimately quit the project after taking on West Side Story. I'm pretty sure. And so James Mangold is now directing Dial of Destiny, who I think is a very good filmmaker. Uh, has made a lot of movies I really like. Of course, he did the Wolverine movies, the Wolverine and Logan. Did Ford versus Ferrari recently, uh, which I enjoyed. Uh, did Copland, which is really good. Uh, you know. A lot of good movies. There's also some lesser movies in there too. I'm not a big fan of like Night and Day, for example. Uh, that movie kind of stinks. Uh, but but I think James Mangold is a very good. I feel like Journeyman is not the right word because I think he is somebody who makes incredibly well crafted movies, then does have a certain point of view to them. But somewhere between Journeyman and Auteur, that's where James Mangold lies, and he is taking on Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. So what are your hopes for this movie, Nick? What do you expect uh, for the uh, Indy Five? Uh, well, firstly, I want to say three. To Yuma, I oh, yeah. think it's his best movie. Movie um, rules, that's great. And if any of the set pieces in Dial of Destiny are close to that final shootout in 310 to Yuma, I will be pleased. Yeah. But yeah, just I'm happy. This is the only time I will ever say this. I'm happy Spielberg is not attached to this movie because I cannot imagine, not that he phoned in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but I don't think he would really be into it. And yeah, not to speak for the man, um, but it's just it's it's more interesting to move on at this point. And honestly, Ford is still in it. So that's enough. Mangold is at least an interesting direction where if they hired, I don't know, like a Louis Leterrier or something, <laughs> uh, I would have no faith in the movie whatsoever. Yes. Um, Another shot at Mangold, Fast X from Nick Wormuth. <laughs> I'm going to keep him coming. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. It's, it's the most inspired safe choice I think they could have made. 
where it I think inspired like, safe choice is a good choice of words. Um, yeah. you know, and I'm that's not sort of extraordinarily hopeful. <laughs> but yeah. we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think inspired safe choice is a good choice of words because I think he's I think he was really hired on for this on the strength of Logan, uh, which is also, you know, the last movie in that series depicted an old man kind of version of Wolverine, uh, and was kind of billed as like one last ride with this character and all all that kind of stuff. And like he was able to bring a lot of pathos out of that. Uh and so I think you know, on the strength of that, he's taken on Indiana Jones five, which will I almost certainly be the final Harrison Ford Indiana Jones movie. He is, I believe, 79 years old. Jesus. Well, uh, the next one will just be them putting him in a casket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you never know. That might happen at the end of this movie. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I think um, it, it was really interesting watching Crystal Skull again. And people at the time being like, man, Ford looks so old in this. And now that I've seen what like Harrison Ford looks like as a really old man, I'm like, man, he looks pretty good. He looks pretty good in Indy Ford. <laughs> he looks more buff in Blade Runner 2049 than he does in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which is insane. Because yeah. there's it's a nine year gap between the two of them. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Ford at this point is just revisiting all of his old roles. Uh, he, of course, he came back as Han Solo in Force Awakens and did another cameo in Rise of Skywalker, which oof. and then, you know, he did Blade Runner. And now, yeah, he's back in Indy 5. Witness 2 is coming next. Uh, and, <laughs> and Bob uh, Wynack from American Graffiti, whatever his character name is. Man, I should, I should watch American Graffiti again. It's been a long time and that movie's It rules. Great. Yes. Uh, for, yeah. for all, for any George Lucas bashing that has happened on this episode, man, American Graffiti is so good. He should have made like way more movies like American Graffiti, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I'm almost mad that Star Wars exists because American Graffiti is so goddamn good. <laughs> But yeah, I think with Dial of Destiny, uh, I am hopeful that I like it. Uh, like I said, I was kind of, you know, a, a little bit on the fence about it after the Cannes uh, premiere where all the reviews were pretty mixed to negative. But I have seen some people in recent weeks that have been more positive on the movie. Uh, I do think James Mangold's a good director. Uh, and I think having Harrison Ford there, like that's that's almost enough. Like he's, he, I think no matter what, he will give a really good performance as Indiana Jones, especially. I think he wants to go out on a high note, uh, you know, and I think Crystal Skull, it was kind of clear to everyone that it wasn't a high note uh, or at least you know again I think it's a good movie uh, but like consensus for that movie was not great and I think you know he and Spielberg and, and everybody involved wanted to be like okay let's do one more movie where we go out on a high note let's make something really good and so I, I am curious how this movie plays out I think under the current you know blockbuster filmmaking landscape I am worried this will be like a fairly micromanaged you know Disney production that of course will be very uh, laden with you know sort of interchangeable CGI it's, it's one of those weird things where I feel like, you know, people criticize CGI when they can see it. Yeah. Uh, but when they can't see it, and there's a lot of it. It's like, hey, this looks great. You know, that's, <laughs> you know, and you know, you watch the Avatar movies and those movies look incredible. Uh, and you watch other, there are so many movies that use CGI, you know, for everything. I mean, uh, you look at like behind the scenes photos of like Wolf of Wall Street, which is a movie you would think would have no CGI. Uh, the entire and you, Miami beach is just completely CG. Yeah. It's a blue screen. It's a, it's yeah. a blue screen, but you wouldn't know that watching the movie, right? If, if, if it's invisible, it, it's great. It's just when it looks bad, <laughs> then it's, yeah. then it's bad. And so I think Crystal Skull has some of that unfortunately and uh i think in recent years uh with a lot of blockbusters um because of how much they overwork uh visual effects studios uh, a lot of blockbusters in recent years have had pretty bad cgi uh which is one of those weird things where it's like you would think as time has gone on cgi would improve just like you know the technology gets better every year and all that kind of stuff but then you compare like the iron man suit in 2008's iron man and you look at that versus the iron man suit in avengers endgame and the endgame suit looks way worse it 
like the, uh, the Iron Man suit. Like, yes, yeah, the Iron, the Man, Iron Man suit, suit is tactile. And stuff. It has yeah. weights, yes. Uh, and so with Dial of Destiny, I am a little worried that it's going to be kind of a, you know, nonstop CGI fest uh, that doesn't look very good. And I think one of the things I like about the Indiana Jones movies is that they are pretty practical and they are they are like, they feel like you're there, uh, at yeah. least the first three. And so Dial of Destiny, we will see what happens uh, with that. Uh, but forward back, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, I think will be a very fun addition to the series as it, apparently her, his goddaughter. Uh, I'm really curious um, if they follow up the ending of Crystal Skull and like reference his marriage to Marion and reference Mutt Williams. I feel like they have to. Uh, you know, it doesn't seem like they're in the movie. So like what, what happened to them? What's going on in their lives? Are they dead? You know, which is sort of how Crystal Skull handles characters that couldn't be there anymore. Um, yeah. With, you know, and Sean Connery had like retired, which is why he wasn't back because he wasn't dead at the time. But uh, also uh, Dan O'Malley, who played Marcus Brody, had died by then. Uh, and so he's not in the movie and they replace him with- John the, uh, Hurt. Yeah, or no, Jim Broadbent. Oh, Jim uh, Broadbent. Jim yeah. Broadbent playing the same character. Like basically yeah. almost, almost uh, he's not Marcus Brody, but he's basically identical to Marcus Brody, <laughs> uh, which is very funny. Um, but yeah, Dial of Destiny, I, I hope it's good, is is my main hope for this movie. <laughs> uh, I do know that it's two and a half hours, which will Jesus make it the long, longest indie movie by a mile. Uh, I think the longest one, I want to say it's Last Crusade, and it's like 210. Like they, these movies are usually uh, right around the two hour mark. So yeah. for it to be two Raiders and a half. is under two, and it's yeah. flawless. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so two and a half makes it feel like it'll be like, you know, kind of the modern bloated blockbuster that is the landscape that we're in right now, which is whatever. I mean, I like a lot of long movies, too. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see what happens. But <laughs> it's if it's long for a purpose. Sure. Yes. I don't know. Exactly. Avatar worked for me. I love the new Guardians of the Galaxy. But boy, near the end, I was like, if this was 15 minutes shorter, this would be five stars. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, exactly. So I hope it's good. It's, it's basically my main hope for this movie. I just really hope that it's good and that it sends India out on a high note. We'll see what happens, I guess. Yeah, be chiming in for, well, I won't be chiming in. I'll be listening in in two weeks when you talk about it. Yes, well, you know, se- send me a text with your thoughts on Indiana Jones 5 next so yeah. that I can put them into the podcast uh, okay. and that we can talk about it. <laughs> but all right, I think that's going to bring us to the end of uh, this week's episode, Nick. So I want to thank you so much for uh, joining us this week. I uh, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm quickly trying to pull up my letterbox name again because I forget it every single time I get uh, on here. Okay. Well, I, okay. you have you have just as much time for me to ask, where can we find you online this week? You can find me on letterbox at Wormuth. It's literally my last name, so I don't know why I forget it every time. <laughs> uh, or twitter.com for the time being until it loses all function at Downey Plus Ultra. Uh, because they have yet to take that from me. <laughs> there you go. Big Daddy Tide can't catch on. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. And you can follow me online at M Smith Filmbog on Twitter, Mike Smith Film on Letterboxd, Radio Mike Sandwich on Instagram. Uh, you can get merch for this podcast at Redbubble at MikeandMikePods.redbubble.com. Uh, and of course, if you go to our Kofi page, which is Kofi.com slash MikeandMikePods, uh, you can donate money to this podcast if you want to help support us. Uh, that would be great. Any amount would be fantastic. Uh, but if you donate $50, you can choose a movie for us to watch. And and review on this podcast. So keep that in mind for sure. Thank you so much for listening to Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. I'm Mike Smith, and that is Nick Wormuth subbing in for Mike DeCrecio. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, you can tweet at us at Mike and Mike Pod. You can find the rest of our podcast in Rapture Press alongside many other podcasts, about all kinds of comic books and movie news and all that good stuff. Uh, so next week, uh, Mike D will be back and someone paid to make us watch Freddy Got Fingered. So uh, that's what we will be talking about. In the meantime, the complete works uh just released a bonus episode on netflix's marco polo because 
uh, Michelle Yeoh is in the second season of that show. So we each watched the first episode of the second season without having seen the first season. Just complete no context. <laughs> For Marco Polo, and you can listen to that one as well. And Nick, you'll uh, you'll be in Missoula. You'll be here in town uh, in just a couple of days uh, after we're recording this. That I will. I will be able to see the Roxy, the indie theater near your house in Missoula, Montana. I'm quite That's excited. Right. Yes, Nick will be here in town. We'll be going to the Roxy. I will probably go see Asteroid City. It'll be a great time. Very excited about that. And then actually Asteroid City coming up on the Complete Works because Jeff Goldblum is in it. Hell so, yeah. I did yeah. not know that. It makes oh, yeah. sense. But. Well, yeah. <laughs> Nick, everybody is in Asteroid City. That's okay. the thing. <laughs> literally literally everybody. In City? Uh, in, in your heart, yes. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, Nick, once again, thank you so much for joining us for Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. Happy to be here. All right. And that is the end of this week's episode of Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. We will see you on the other side. Mm-hmm.